starting with Exodus 21, verses 1 through 6. Listen as God speaks his word. Now these are the rules that you shall set before them. When you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. If he comes in single, he shall go out single. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out alone. But if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free, then his master shall bring him to God, and he shall bring him to the door or the, or the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an owl, and he shall be his slave forever. Now from Colossians. Chapter 3, verses 20 through 25. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. This is the word of the Lord. We can dismiss the younger set for worship kid style at this time can make their way out and as they do that I would just share two reflections on the musical offerings of the church this morning. The first is that uh, the hymn that we sang, A Christian Home, uh, the tune is Finlandia. It's uh, the same if you know the hymn Be Still My Soul, that tune Finlandia is used there. Finlandia is my mother's favorite tune because she was Finnish. her parents came over from Finland. It's my first observation. The second observation is choir. Presbyterians have more rhythm than I expected. (laughs) So thank you for doing your part to thaw out the frozen chosen. Um, We appreciate it. So we're in the book of Ephesians and remember that what Paul is doing now as we've reached the sixth chapter is he's talking about the outworkings of being filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, do not be drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, meaning a, a waste, but be filled with the Spirit. Be under the influence. Be being filled. And then what Paul goes on to say in the next several paragraphs is if you are filled with God's Holy Spirit, that that changes your relationship starting in the home. And we spoke to that last week, talking about spirit-filled marriage. And we looked at that, the second half of Ephesians chapter 5. Today we're going to talk about reciprocal relationships, is the subtitle, reciprocal relationships, because uh, one of the verses we're going to read talks about uh, masters and slaves, and it says to the masters, do the same to them. 
It's a reciprocal relationship, actually Calvin's uh, observation there. So let's just go ahead and read the scripture at this time. And if some of this sounds familiar, the phrasing is, bears quite a bit of resemblance to some of what Brian just read for us from uh, Colossians. So here's God's word, Ephesians chapter 6, the first nine verses. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Verse 5, bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. Masters, do the same to them. Stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, we would ask for a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit, uh, even this morning, as we worship you. Lord, your word tells us uh, in, in Ephesians 1, and maybe elsewhere, that we are sealed by the Spirit, that, that you send forth your Spirit rushing into our hearts, making us alive together with Christ, by which we call out to you, Abba, Father. And so your spirit is resident within all who believe. But Lord, we want to yield control of our lives to you and ask for the illumining, the enlightenment that comes from your spirit as we look at these sacred pages of scripture. And we want to then flesh this out. We want to live out spirit-filled relationships with one another uh, in, in our homes and in the workplace too. And we ask you to empower us uh, for all of this, that we might bear fruit that remains and glorifies you. And we pray all this for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So spirit-filled believers behave differently. That's the thrust of what Paul is saying. Remember, you know, when, we, when he speaks to marriage in chapter 5, or when he speaks to parenting and all that it's not just random stuff it's not just some haphazard laundry list of stuff he's thrown out there he is demonstrating that when you live out ephesians 5 18 spirit-filled believers behave differently and it's from the heart now the second half of the sermon when we get there um, we'll talk about head heart hand and the word heart, not, not the physical organ that pumps blood throughout your body, but meaning the 
seat of the emotions. It's used over 800 times in the Bible, and it means your affective makeup, your emotional makeup, but more than just your feelings, your will and your decision, your desires as well. And so in, in, in this passage, it, it mentions from the heart, verses 5 and 6, a different word is actually used in verse 6. It's, it's suke, it's where we get the word psyche or psychology, the, the prefix there or the root root there. Um, it means your inner person. So from our inner beings, we behave differently when we're filled with God's Holy Spirit. And so there's a couple of examples here that we have already read and we'll talk about today. Children and parents. Um, children are to be pleasing to God by their obedience to their parents. And parents are not to discourage their children in like fashion. As we said, this is comparable to what Brian read for us out of Colossians chapter 3. And then we have what I have termed point two, employees and employers. And perhaps you already noticed that it says masters and slaves. So let's talk about that for a minute. How do I extrapolate that to employees and employers? Well, he's talking about household relationships, right? Be filled with the spirit that influences your marriage. It causes husbands to love their wives. It causes wives to respect her husband. Uh, And then it affects parent-child relationships. And then master-slave, I would say that it kind of relates both to the household and outside the home, and here's why. In terms of in the household, in the Roman Empire, there were millions of slaves, millions of them. And in major cities, about one-third of the populace were enslaved people. Now, when we use that word slavery, it brings all sorts of explosive stuff to our minds. But slaves in Roman times, it wasn't like the chattel slavery of African Americans in the history of our nation in which people were treated as subhuman in the 19th century and which is, you know, morally wrong. Uh, That's not how they were treated. They were members of the household, and many times it was a relationship of not only respect, but uh, sometimes affection. Did you catch in the passage that Brian read for us from Exodus 21, um, if you love your master, it said in the Old Testament, you could stay. So it was more like what we understand as indentured servitude. You served for a season, you served for a period of time, and you earned your freedom, and then you could go. But some household servants, slaves, chose to stay out of love for their master. They had a good master, and they wanted to continue in that relationship. And so they would have their, their ear pierced as a result, taken all driven through the ear. I saw a... Uh, Uh, reels on Facebook of friend's daughter getting her ears pierced for the first time as a teenager or whatever. You know, not not quite like that, but the all driven through, and it was to be a sign that I'm going to remain a voluntary bondservant in this household. So completely an aside, you ever heard that body piercing saved my life? Uh, 
I mean, ultimately, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins, and it was body piercing that saved our lives. And another completely, an aside mark, um, uh, tattoos and piercings, it's, the Bible does not speak against that. Some people want to take a verse from Leviticus that talks about not being tattooed or whatever and say, see, you shouldn't do that. And the, the context there is actually ritually, religiously being tattooed with the mark of your pagan false god. So it's not a, a strict prohibition against all tattoos. I just throw that out there for your edification uh, in case you're interested. I don't have any tattoos. If you're going to spend 80 or 200 or 400 bucks on a tattoo, I'd rather you just give me the money. But, but, <laughs> but you know, we, we, we can't make the case that, you know, it's, it's sin for Christians. You know, some of y'all are going like this right now, you know. You know um, <clears throat> but, uh, but anyway, the, the, the point of the passage here is about masters and slaves. The word here, the New Testament word is doulos, uh, which means someone who gives themselves up to God's will. A, a servant, a bond servant, a bond slave. Uh, the, the Apostle Paul in many of his letters in the New Testament will talk about himself sometimes with Tim, Timothy. Paul and Timothy, bond servants. That's the doulos, voluntary slaves of Christ and to be a slave to the Lord is actually to be free it's actually the greatest form of freedom that there is because our master in heaven is is good and he's gracious and he's loving Uh, so masters and slaves here in our passage I would say there's correspondence to the household because so many Roman households had these bond servants there under their roof. But I think it's fair to make application then to the marketplace, to the work world, to your job, and uh, employer-employee relationships as well. Um, Pastor Scott Sauls down in Tennessee says this, when faith and work are truly integrated, Christians should be known as the bosses everyone wants to work for, the colleagues everyone wants to work alongside, and the employees everyone wants to hire. Um, And I think that's a a helpful perspective here. All right, so we go ahead and proceed to head, heart, hand. Uh, Head to know, know that kids who obey their parents will be especially blessed. Kids who obey their parents will be especially blessed. Uh, Paul remarks here that this is the first commandment with a promise. Now, where do we find the Ten Commandments? Exodus where? Exodus 20, that's right. And then where do we find it other than Jordan, the second giving of the law? Where do we find it in the second giving of the law? It's Deuteronomy, Deutero means second, namas means law, so the second law, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 5. Sometimes it's helpful just to, you know, big stuff to at least be able to peg it to a chapter. Try to remember at least the Exodus 20 uh, passage. 
But there, there the command is given and the promise is attached to it. No, second of all, that we are all under the authority of our master in heaven. And when we call God our master, he, the, the word can also be translated as Lord. He is our Lord. He is our owner. And uh, if you're a jot or jot this, we don't have time to go there, but 1 Timothy 6, 1 and 2 talks about Christian servants, Christian workers. Um, you can't kind of skate out from under if your boss is a Christian and say, well, you know, I don't have to do a good job because they're a believer. They're really my brother in the Lord. No, uh, you should serve all the better if that's the case. 1 Timothy 6, 1 and 2. Uh, no third of all, that there is no partiality with him, our master in heaven. There's no partiality with him. What does that mean? Playing favorites. It's, it's playing favorites. Um, from James chapter 2, I won't read all 13 verses as indicated there. I will read the first four. I want you to hear this about the sin of partiality. James 2, 1 through 4 says, My brothers, show no partiality, favoritism, as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly... And a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you, sit here in a good place, uh, while you say to the poor man, you, stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? That's just the first four verses I'd love for you uh, perhaps later today to look at the next nine or ten, whatever it is, verses that I've indicated there as well. There's no partiality with God. And so when you play favorites in the church based on, you know, money, right? Uh, some churches, it's known who the bigger givers are or whatever. If you, you know, you go and you visit one another's homes and see the lifestyle sometimes, not always, Sometimes that can be an indicator of one's wealth and, and financial flourishing. Now, with that said, I have a doctor friend in South Carolina, and as his income has grown, he has kept his lifestyle the same and simply increased his giving capacity. He's kept the same house and the same sorts of cars and stuff. Uh, I had to talk it through with him that it was okay to put a little a patio addition thing on the back of his house. Charlie, it's okay. You're using it for hospitality and you're mentoring people and discipling them and sharing them. It's okay that you do that. Um, but I think that's a beautiful thing in terms of his Christian stewardship. They just gave more and more money. Uh, but when we play favorites in the church financially or the sin of partiality, I think, can also be fairly applied to racism when you treat people differently based upon their ethnicity, the color of their skin, what have you, um, you are guilty of the sin of partiality, playing favorites. And God doesn't do that. We are all on level ground at the foot of the cross. There is no partiality with him. In fact, I put an excerpt on the back of your listening guide 
uh, from 1 Peter chapter 2. Um, what do I want to read here, Tom? Do I want to read that? Do I want to read just one verse? I really want to read more. Well, let's just read verse 18. Uh, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. You don't know my boss, Pastor. He's a jerk. That's not outside the providence of God. God sometimes puts people in our lives who are difficult for us to love. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to necessarily stay in that role the whole rest of your life, admittedly. But before you're too quick to complain and to change, maybe God's trying to do something in your life, or maybe God's trying to use you in their life. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. That's So the flavor of the 1 Peter 2 passage is twofold. It talks about suffering for doing what's right. And I want you to see that. It also makes the gospel explicit. It it, it talks about Christ leaving an example for us to follow in his steps. Although he did not sin, he did not complain when he suffered unjust treatment. And was punished severely. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. And so we see that in the ultimate example of our faithful shepherd Jesus. uh, Suffering unjustly. And I think we need to give some consideration to the gospel implications on our lives. If Jesus was willing to put up with things and suffer unfairly, unjustly, and for doing what was right, uh, we can find some solace, some comfort in the knowledge that this finds favor with God. And that's the gospel call for us today. Um, Know fourth of all that the Lord sees. The Lord sees. Now, he is called the God who sees in Genesis 16 not going to explore that uh, today. But it means that, that God is aware and he repays, it says in our pas- passage in Ephesians 6, 8, you'll receive back from the Lord. In the Colossians parallel passage, it talks about our inheritance uh, in the Lord. But the Lord sees, right? So there's a story that's told about a uh, burglar breaks into a home under cover of darkness and goes into the home and first goes for the electronics that are out and available. He's putting them into the bag and all of a sudden he hears this voice, Ah, Jesus is watching you. And he's, what? And he goes for the silverware drawer next and hears, Ah, Jesus is watching you. Who, who, who is that? And over near the window, there's a, there's a bird in a cage. It says, uh, was that you? Bird says, yes. <laughs> I was only trying to warn you. Warn you. And, 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 I'm, I'm going to put a cloth over your cage and make you be quiet. 
and so he needs some light to find a cloth, and he turns on the light, and he turns around, and there's a Rottweiler with a name tag, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is watching you. Okay, but, but the thing is, it's really true. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, now verse 12 famously talks about the Word of God being living and active and all that sort of thing. But verse 13 says that all things are laid open and bare before Him with whom we have to do. There are no secret sins. Um, and, and in the way you conduct yourself in the workplace, um, I have a friend who, whose father, the example that he set for his son was um, while, the, while the cat's away, the mice will play. So when the big boss wasn't around, he worked in sort of a, um, a lumber yard or warehouse sort of capacity, and he had himself a hiding spot under a rat where he would go and he would sleep. And that's the example that he set for his son, and his son was affected uh, by that. The Lord sees. He really does. You know, it's a slogan in our culture today, right? You know, moms, I see you, right? Well, well, the Lord sees us. He's aware of what you do, and even though you may not be rewarded, may not be credited for biting your tongue under a demanding boss, the Lord sees. And Jesus himself is acquainted with grief, a man of sorrows who went to the cross. We must bear that in mind. These are some things to know. Know that kids who obey their parents will be especially blessed. Know that we're all under the authority of our master in heaven. Know that there is no partiality with him. He doesn't play favorites, but he sees. He is alive. He is active. Uh, he is watching and not from a distance. Beth Bette Midler might be a nice singer, but not good theology. Heart. Be sincere. To be. Sincere service comes from reverence for Christ. Sincere service. The word sincere means uh, with simplicity. With single-minded devotion. Single-minded devotion and your service should be rendered with goodwill, a good mind. And it comes from reverence for Christ. You serve as unto the Lord, as you would Christ. John Stott says, It is possible for the housewife to cook a meal as if Jesus Christ were going to eat it, or to spring clean the house as if Jesus Christ were to be the honored guest. It is possible for teachers to educate children, for doctors to treat patients and nurses to care for them, for solicitors to help clients, shop assistants to serve customers, accountants to audit books, and secretaries to type letters as if in each case they were serving Jesus Christ. Because the reality is that you are, ultimately. Heart to be, be sincere. Uh, don't be a people pleaser. There's a bullet point under head, heart, hand, heart. Don't be a people pleaser for, for eye service. That's um, the only place that this word is employed in the Greek New Testament. And it means to be seen by man for appearances, right? 
Some people are, forgive the term, brown nosers, sycophants, yes men. Uh, that's not what Christians need to be like. Uh, or only working when the boss is watching, as I mentioned before. Hand, to do. Some to-dos here in the spirit, not gutting it out in your own strength and the power of the flesh, but in the Lord, with the filling of the spirit. Minor children obey their parents. Minor children obey. It's an intensified form of the verb to hear, to hear under. So they're listening attentively. They're under authority. They are complying and heeding. They are recognizing their need to submit and to be subordinate appropriately. Minor children obey. There, you know, there's a dozen points we could say about each of these things to give a specific application and case study and all that kind of thing. Don't have time to, to, to do all that. But when it says obey your parents in the Lord, kids, young people, that doesn't mean only if mom and dad are Christians. It doesn't mean you're off the hook and you don't have to obey them. Maybe you got dropped off here at church today. I don't know. And it doesn't mean that you don't have to obey your parents if they're not believers. It means that your service to the Lord is to be submissive to your parents as Jesus was to his own. We could, uh, we could study that example where he is found in the temple and mom and dad are frantic and they can't find him, but uh, then he continued in submission to them. That would be an interesting case study. You obey as to the Lord unless you're directed to do something that's unbiblical and immoral. You know, stop reading your Bible. Well, you don't obey your parents in that one. Well, I want you to sleep with your girlfriend. It's good for you. It's natural or whatever. Well, you, you don't do that. But otherwise, you do obey your parents as to the Lord. Minor children, that means if you're still under their roof, you're still under their household, you're still under their authority, then you obey. All of us, even as adult children, we honor. Adult children honor their parents, and it gets more complicated, right, when you become an adult and you try to figure out what does that mean, what does that look like? How do I honor my parents now that we've established a family of our own? How do I honor my parent where there's a role reversal who's now an aging parent and I'm the caregiver and it's almost like the parent-child gets flip-flopped. It gets complex, right? Uh, but what a, a mistake that too many parents make is they try to be their, their kid's friend, their kid's buddy, instead of acting like an adult and being the parent. Another mistake that parents make is when they become parents of adult children, they never shift gears and move towards friendship with their child. They try to keep them under their thumb. They don't let Johnny properly leave and cleave and recognize that they're an adult now and now you can appropriately transition to friendship. Some people never make that adjustment and that's a shame to miss out on that opportunity to become friends with your adult children. But we honor 
our parents. And what does that mean, to honor them? What if they disagree with your life decisions about your job or who you're going to marry or, or whatever? Well, you listen, you respect them, you, you take it under advisement because you value their wisdom, some, but what if they're not very wise? What if they've made poor life choices? What if they're not a believer? You, you, you still recognize that God placed them in your life and, and you value their wisdom, but you value the relationship. And then you make your own decision if, you're, if you've established your own headship in a new household of your own. You know, there's a thousand variations we could talk about and we just, we just don't have time to do it. But uh, when minor children obey, it's right it's pleasing to the Lord. Um, here's a little piece of homework for you also. Just jot down Mark 7. Uh, it's the principle of Korban. Uh, it's Jesus taking the religious elite to task, ultimately for elevating the traditions of men above the word of God, which we should never do. But the specific example that he uses is an instance in which people are actually behaving as religious hypocrites and failing to take care of their aging parents. And Jesus said not to do that in very strong terms. You can check it out and meditate on it in Mark chapter 7. Hand to do. Uh, Minor children obey, adult children honor their parents. Second, fathers don't provoke their kids. They teach, they teach them. Fathers don't provoke their kids. They teach them. What does that mean? Provoke them to anger, exasperate them. And I thought about listing some examples, some ways in which dads do that. You know, what one, one extreme that parents go to, especially in today's day and age, it makes me sound really old, doesn't it, saying that? Today's day and age, when I was coming up... Um, but one, one example is to be all permissive, right? Thinking that love has no limits and love has no boundaries. And that's a grave error to make in your parenting. I mean, do you let the kids make the grocery list? When I was a kid, if I was in charge of the grocery shopping, I'd come back home with a cart full of nothing other than Oreos and Fritos. Now, Oreos and Fritos are tasty, you know, now and again. But that's not a healthy diet. And yet in our parenting, we let kids, well, well I'm not going to ask my child to come to church. I'm going to let them decide. They're six. You drive the car. Put him in the car. Bring him to youth group. Bring him to church. Bring him to Kish Kids Club Wednesday night, starting June 1st. Act like an adult. That's one mistake, is to be too permissive. The other mistake is the other end of the spectrum is to be micromanaging. I'll just give one little for instance. I load the dishwasher the correct way. (laughs) All others in my household do it wrong. And one of my jobs that God has given me is to correct that. (laughs) Well, if I want to waste my time and do that, I can do that after the fact. But you know what? Pick and choose your battles, right? I found myself correcting. I'm, I'm, you know, made it sound funny, but it wasn't funny when my teenage son, at least he was putting it in there, right? Okay? So get off their back. 
and, and let them make some mistakes while they're still under your roof. Don't micromanage, Dad. Let them make some mistakes while they're under your roof because when they go away from under your roof, off to college or the work world or, or, or wherever, uh, you know, their own apartment or whatever, you want them to have kind of stretched their limits and explored the boundaries and stuff while they could learn from it and debrief with you. Don't try to protect them from every little mistake or every little pain or be the perfect kid. Let them try some stuff while they're still under your roof. Uh, how, do, how do dads exasperate their kids, provoke them to anger? Uh, some, you know, dads, we love to tease. You know, how come moms don't tease as much as dads do? Or is that a misogynistic statement? Oh, my. Well, anyway, just watch it, dads. Just don't, don't exasperate. The, the tickle battle, all that kind of stuff. Um, when you're having fun and you're, you know, you're tickling, stop! You know, there, there is a stop. That means I love it, keep going. But we need to treat women particularly uh, with respect, right? So there was a rule in my household that you could mess around, you know, me picking on Jenna or her brother, you know. But, but if she, the magic words were stop, please. If she said stop, please, that meant we're, it, it was, that was it. That was enough. Don't, don't exasperate your kids. Teach them. Teach them. Don't be all permissive, but don't be the great Santini. Don't be, that's an old movie. Uh, don't be a taskmaster. I date myself with my movies, don't I? It's really bad. Um, but some of y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. Scary. Um, teach them. Discipline. Training. Education. Correcting. You're shaping their minds. Now, what kind of example are you setting, Dad, with the way you speak to your wife? Are you ever willing to admit that you're wrong? Do you ever apologize to your wife? And if you've mistreated your wife verbally or any, you know, in front of the kids, not only do you have to make it right with your wife, you have to talk to your kid about it. And, and, and what kind of message are you setting? Now, I may be preaching to the choir, guys. You're here today, and we are glad that you're here. But what kind of teaching are you giving? What kind of example are you setting with your worship attendance? Are you a C&E Christian, Christian uh, Christmas and Easter only, and, and maybe Mother's Day too, but that's it? You're sending them a message. Worship isn't very important. Worship is boring. Worship is an accessory. Worship is not needed. You go if you're feeling, feeling like it or, or until you get a better offer. It's like Marsha Brady, right? Well, I said yes to Jimmy to go to the prom, but, you know, well, I really want to go with, you know, FOMO. Young people know what, old people go, what, what? Fear of missing out. Well, there, there's a whole lot of other things that you could be doing this morning if you don't have a conviction and a commitment to gather regularly for worship, which many of you here today do and share that, and I appreciate that. Good leaders don't threaten those under their charge, verse 9. Good, three, good leaders don't threaten menacing intimidation. There's an old song um, about that Exodus 21 passage about the servant who actually loves their master and wants to stay says pierce my ear O lord take me to your door this day 
I will serve no other gods. Lord, I'm here to stay. For you have paid the price for me. With your blood you ransomed me. I'll serve you eternally. A free man I'll never be. But I would add to that, there's no greater freedom than when you say to the Lord, Lord, I will go where you want me to go. I will do what you want me to do. And I will say what you want me to say. Let's pray. Lord, change our hearts. Change our relationships. Let us love one another and thus fulfill the law of Christ. For we pray in his name. Amen.